A Buddhist monk, a rabbi, and an epidemiologist walk into a bar. Actually, in this case, they assiduously don't walk into a bar because, of course, we're all still on lockdown. Welcome to Exit 43, where we tell terrible jokes and, more importantly, take a deep dive into things you probably didn't know about. My name is Jordan Fenster. On this episode, logging off, separating yourself from technology, and why it's probably a good idea, especially now, when we can't all walk into bars. Let's start with the epidemiologist. Uh, my name is Dimitri Christakis. I'm a pediatrician and epidemiologist at the University of Washington and Seattle Children's Research Institute. And I direct the Center for Child Health, Behavior, and Development at Seattle Children's. Christakis focuses on how screens affect the brain. Pretty hard to really think about anything affecting children and not study screens, since um, it's one of the things that children spend the most time with. So for, for me, for preschool children in the U.S., they spend on average about four and a half hours in front of a screen, which is to say about 30% of their waking time. Though his focus is on young children, Christakis explained that screens affect the brain at all ages in two ways. First, there's the content, what's on the screen. We all remember the stories of those TV shows that caused kids to have epileptic fits. The content of the show matters, the edits of the show matters, the pacing of the show matters, the sounds of the show matters. Uh, all of those things can affect children's brain development. The other way screens affect the brain is indirect. It's not always what you're doing when you're using a screen, but what you're not doing. 30% of their waking hours is spent in front of a screen, which begs the question, what are they missing out on? What's being displaced as a result of this time spent on a screen? Literally, if you think about it, even as a one-for-one -on -one, one -one displacement. So that moment when a child is on an iPad what would they otherwise be doing that they're now not doing that could be essential for their development, positively or negatively, right? I mean, that could be displacing a bad experience. We certainly hope it's that they have good op developmental opportunities uh, to avail themselves of. Now, we've all been watching screens for generations. Television is not new. And there has been a significant amount of research into its effects on the brain. But something changed a decade ago when the first touchscreens were marketed. That was really a game changer. Uh, and even though television research had been around for about 60 years when the iPad came out, it dramatically shifted the landscape of, of, of digital experience. And the reason I say that is because it created contingent responses, um, which is... Um, a very, very different experience than the typical experience we all have of passively watching a screen. So um, we've known for decades that that kind of contingent response drives engagement. That contingent response has made disengaging from technology all that much more difficult. It really does um, make the experience so much more alluring that it can become compulsive and even addictive. And we think about that a lot for older people, older children and adults, but the work we're doing in the lab now shows that it's true even for very, very young children, that they can find it very difficult to disengage from a, type, a touchscreen, an iPad, much more difficult than from a traditional television set. It's important to remember that none of this is by accident. 
These devices have been designed, tested, marketed, and sold by companies attempting to make a profit. None of this is incidental or accidental. We all know we live in an attentional economy, and these app developers, mm -hmm. these game developers, these social media developers are all building their things so that we find it difficult to get off of them. Blake Snow agrees. He's a journalist and an author who wrote a book appropriately called Log Off. You know, there's a lot of powerful people out there in Silicon Valley and some of the greatest mathematicians and minds right now are figuring out how can we get these people to use their phones more. It's not that digital tools don't have value. I'm not blind to the irony that I used digital tools to create a work of digital media on which we're talking about logging off of digital tools. Where would we be without video conferencing these days? But Christakis said you have to be realistic. Right? I mean, it's a really interesting example of a double-edged sword. Where would we be without Zoom right now? You know, our children would be completely socially isolated. On the other hand, spending five hours a day on Facebook is not going to be constructive for their mental health. So how do we walk that tightrope? I don't know, but I think we're going to learn lessons from this that hopefully, hopefully, We'll never be needed, <laughs> we'll never need to <laughs> use again. Let's get back to Snow. He said he'd been addicted to the internet. He was a workaholic. And then circumstances forced him to take a look at his own behavior. He called it his Montana moment. Uh, this awakening, this, this Montana moment, if you will, on a two-week vacation with no internet reception, no cell phone, only like a dial-up modem, which we didn't even use. And that was like this catalyst for hey, I need to, you know, I need to, I wanted to, you know, seek out this offline nirvana, if you will. Snow also talks about the addictive nature of the internet, but he puts it in different terms. There's a chemical in us called dopamine that causes us to seek. And this is, this is, the, this is what's driven our evolutionary progression for millions of years. It's why we get better. It's why life is better today than it was 10 years ago, than it was 100 years ago, than it was 200 years ago. Humans are driven to seek. The problem is when, when you couple that, that dopamine, that endless drive to seek something better, and you apply it to a literally bottomless internet where there's no end page, you can't reach the end, um, it, it causes what's called a dopamine loop in the research and a lot of the scientists they spoke to. And that just sends our brains haywire. There's no end in sight. Nowadays, Snow drinks the Kool-Aid. He works from home like we all do now, at least those of us who are still lucky enough to be working, but he makes sure to turn off his phone and his computer. He tries to keep work separate. Rather than being a leash to your phone and, and a, a slave to your phone, you're kind of switching the roles there. You're like, no, I tell you when to wake up, I tell you when to work when I ask you to. More on this in just a minute. Exit 43 is a production of Hearst, Connecticut Media. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing to our newspapers by visiting ctinsider.com. Find more episodes of Exit 43 on our website or wherever you go for podcasts, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. <laughs> Welcome back to Exit 43. I'm your guide, Jordan Fenster. This week, we're talking about logging off and turning off our technology, even in isolation. That voice you heard a few seconds ago was Lama Karma Drodhul, 
He's the president of Karma Triana Dharma Chakra, a Tibetan Buddhist monastery in Woodstock, New York. When I spoke with Lama Karma, he started and finished with a prayer. And I just uh, want to dedicate this talk for the benefit of all sentient beings, especially what's going on you know, with the pandemic. And, and uh, you can hear, you know, my, my English is not that good, but I can try my best. Lama Karma is now the president of a monastery and a Lama. You know, it's, it's Lama, and uh, people debate about uh, whether there's one or two L's. If it's two L's, it's the animal llama, and then it's one L, it's the Tibetan llama. So I'm the one L person. But before that, he was a shepherd in Tibet. When he decided to pursue a monastic life, his family was so proud they held a celebration. And then he spent three years in a box. Literally. Regard with a three-year retreat, well, three years, three months, three days, you just simply sit in a meditation box. Uh, that is a perfect, you know, fits for you. Actually, it's designed for you guys, you know. Uh, and for, you know, I'm from Tibet, and, you know, I, I can, I sit in meditation box, and you have a lot of space left. <laughs> you don't lay it down for three years. Uh, you just simply sit in meditation box and uh, you know during, uh, you don't lay a dumb sleep. You just sleep, uh, sit up. It's been only a few months in isolation. I don't know if I could handle three years, three months, three days in a box. Actually, Lama Karma said Tibetan monks are no different. Some people can handle the isolation. Some people can't. For me, I think everybody's different. Some people never really... Just like now, right? And uh, when we, all of a sudden everybody has the quarantine or you know pandemic situation, stay at home, and some people feel it's just so wonderful. Some people feel it's miserable. So it's the same thing. Like some people, you know, even though they just you know, want to do three years, it's, it's wonderful. And you come in three years, oh, it's totally different. You can't go anywhere for three years, three months. Oh my God! Some people may experience as a jail. So for me. It was the best thing I ever had in my life. And, uh, you know, there's no vacation. There's no weekend vacation. But it's uh, really most joyful that I ever had. I couldn't talk about this without reaching out to my friend, Rabbi Joseph Eisenbach, a Chabad rabbi in northwest Connecticut. Eisenbach, like all observant Jews, celebrates Shabbat. I'll let him explain it, though I should mention that one of his children happened to be around for the conversation. Uh, the original Shabbat was, as it says in the uh, Torah, in the Bible, that God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Shabbat, as a meaning, the actually word itself in Hebrew means to rest. And we rest strictly from the physical labor. Uh, spiritually, we're nonstop. And family were nonstop. And I think that is really, in particular, what Shabbat means. It means a day of rest of physical labor, but double energy that God gives us to connect spiritually and to connect with our loved ones. As the rabbi explained, there are many laws of Shabbat. You're not supposed to drive. You're not supposed to do any manual labor. And you're not supposed to light any fires or turn on any electronics for 24 hours, from sundown Friday to sundown on Saturday. The key thing is that there is a beauty with the fact that we rest from all mundane and physical work, which includes many detailed laws. But I think for 
the average person, Jew and Gentile, there's something beautiful that uh, Shabbat entails, and uh, especially 2020, especially in the time of you know Facebook, LinkedIn, nonstop, TikTok, whatever it may be, and we're able to go ahead and comes Friday night at sunset, and you just rest. For the rabbi, taking that time to disengage, to focus not on earthly but heavenly concerns, is about taking a measure of control. The difference between a human being and an animal. An animal, the heart controls the mind. You could train a cat for two years, suddenly sees a mouse, boom! A human has to try to be not animalistic, in the sense that we have to have our minds are really the ones that control the heart. There's no one that's more free and greater uh, ability to lead an ethical, moral, and communal life than when you are a human that has the ability to control what you do and what you don't do. Not because everyone is doing this, you follow. Not because you had a couple of shots, do you lose it. There is a beauty of Shabbat, which really reflects that aspect. But in a simpler way, it's a chance to connect. It's fantastic. It's a time where imagine your kids come home and they don't see any technology for 24 hours. That you're able to sit with them and schmooze with them and just play with them and connect with them. And, and me as a parent at this stage of my life, I think that's the most important is because it's really the family time. But no matter what stage you are, if you're a teenager, or you're a grandfather and a grandmother, uh, the beauty of it is that it's a time that you cut yourself off from the mundane and you're really able to reflect on yourself and realize the beauty that you have just by being yourself and realizing the great spirit that you have within you. You know, for this piece, I spoke with a rabbi, an author, a Buddhist lama, and an epidemiologist, and they all made the same point. Technology has its pitfalls, but it's helping us stay connected. And if we want to get the most of it, we, we the onus is on us to figure out the boundaries, draw our own self boundaries in a way that works. Because otherwise, we'll get you know we'll, we'll find ourselves down the rabbit hole, and it's just not good, and it's counterproductive, and it it hampers on our ability to live a fulfilled and happy life. And, pursue and you know, I was thinking the other day. I said, you know, you know, the plague a hundred years ago. They must have been going off the wall. There was no Zoom, there was no Facebook, there was no WhatsApp, there was no phones. I mean, this must have been so challenging. I think through a computer, through Zoom, you know, you, you see the person's image, but it's a, you can't just give a hug, you can't just shake your hands, and uh, there's that uh, social distance, and uh, a little different. But uh, on the other hand, I think uh, it's, it's, it's actually <clears throat> very good that because students come to the monastery and then they have to go through a lot of difficulties okay you have to buy a ticket you have to reserve registration everything right now it's all of a sudden you are still on your home and you just receive all these teachings for free <laughs> so people are like oh, oh wow that's 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 uh, so good that being said i asked christakis what the long-term effects of this significant increase in technological connectedness might be well, you know, now again, speaking as an epidemiologist, one of the challenges is how do you figure out, how do you isolate one particular exposure when it co-varies with a bunch of others, right? The best way to do that is through experimental designs. 
we're not doing that here. We're doing a natural experiment where everybody's locked down and watching a lot of video. I think that anxiety and depression are going up. Obesity is going up. Domestic violence is going up. Child abuse is going up. All of these things are going up. It's not only because we're spending more time on screens, right? Because we're also, we have anxiety, we have depression, we have financial hardship, we're locked inside with not getting enough sunlight, not getting enough exercise, blah, blah, blah. So it's difficult. I'm not, actually, I won't pretend to say that we can, that I'll be able to disentangle what all of the effects are, um, but we're all going to try. This has been Exit 43. My name is Jordan Fenster. If you have a story or a joke you'd like to tell, or if you're just feeling isolated and need to reach out, send me an email at jordan.fenster at hearstmediact.com. Thanks for listening, and remember, stay home if you can, and stay safe. Thank you, Jordan, and I want to dedicate this merit of our talk for the benefit of all sentient beings and may this world able to see that we are on one human being and respect each other and may all of us come together to overcome this pandemic 